Welcome back to the latest episode of Grazia Life Advice. Thanks as always for being with us. This time we've got some great advice from somewhere we don't often venture onto on this podcast, Westminster's Green Benches. I'm Jess Phillips, the Labour MP for Birmingham Yardley, and I'm this week's guest on the Grazia Life Advice podcast. Jess tells us about fighting for women's rights and challenging sexism in Parliament. He said to me, oh, you and your women's rights, you know, you've got the vote. What more do you want? (laughs) Like, you know, oh, you're always bagging on. You've got the bloody vote. We chat about the importance of not appearing to be too grateful and valuing your own time. But remember, they will probably be chuffed if you cancel. So just think of yourself as giving someone else the gift of happiness when you can't do something. And we talk about catching the ick when, without even really knowing why, you start to feel repulsed by someone you're dating. You know that moment where their leg touches you in bed? And it's like, oh God, like... (laughs) Like that, when you've got that, like trust your body. I, I just think our bodies are remarkable yeah. things and we should we should definitely, definitely trust them. All of that, plus being confused with Jess Phillips, the American football player, and growing up in a family struggling with addiction. This chat was a lot of fun and I really enjoyed speaking to Jess, but there are some mentions of violence against women. So if you're not up for hearing about that, maybe this isn't the episode for you. Hi Jess, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. It's really great to meet you. Oh, thanks for having me. How are you doing this morning? It's snowing where I am. Yeah, I it's, about you. Uh, it was uh, snowing loads yesterday. I'm actually in my conservatory in Birmingham and it feels like it's hotter than the centre of the sun on the inside of the conservatory because the sun is shining, but it's also minus one degrees. So if oh, I God. were to go outside, I would get a sharp shock. But in here, yeah. it feels like I'm a dog in a car without the window open. <laughs> uh, well, you're here to share your life advice with us today. Um, so we'll get straight into it with your first piece of advice. Um, your first piece of advice, Jess, is to be wary of acting grateful as a woman for just the basics. And I feel this is a very hot topic, particularly at the moment. Tell me what it means to you. Yeah, I find myself frequently, when you campaign for something often. You feel very delighted when you win. So I will campaign for things like, I I, I ran a big campaign for refuge accommodation for victims of domestic abuse to be written into the law so that local councils had to provide refuge accommodation by law. That means that refuge accommodation and the safety of women in our country is now on the same legal footing as bin collection. Now, that means women matter as much as bins now. (laughs) Right. We're nowhere near mattering as much as cars or planes or trains. Nowhere near politically does women's safety even come close to mattering as much as cars and parking. But we are finally on the same legal footing as bins. And when that was announced... (laughs) Right. I felt like doing cartwheels down my corridor because I've I've been campaigning for it for five years. And when the government minister rang me to tell me that they were going to do it, I I was so chuffed and like I felt so excited. Um, And then I've been all like so grateful to the ministers. I can't thank them enough for recognising this importance. And then one day I just stepped back and thought, what 
the hell, woman? Like, you're grateful that rescuing women from violent situations politically now has the same legal standing as bin collection. Now, I don't, as a politician, I know that bin collection is literally the single most important thing in 99% of people's lives. Never underestimate how much bins matter. However, I just, I just step back and I realise that I'm meant to sort of genuflect in gratitude of recognition <laughs> at the idea that, like, we matter as much as, you know, where you put your milk cartons. And it made me realise that... I, I, I was going to stop feeling grateful for the things that we should have been given in the first place. Mm. And I meet lots of brilliant campaigners. So the Everyone's Invited campaigners, the brilliant young women who started that campaign to find out about sexual exploitation and harassment and abuse in schools and universities amongst young women. I had some meetings with them early on and uh, I said to them, be careful being too grateful because they were like, oh, thanks so much for meeting with us. And oh, do you think that the government will do this? Do you think? And I just I could already hear the gratitude of the basics uh, being meted out to me in this meeting. And I was like, "Ah, you know, the government will now offer you a review. And that just means they're going to pretend to do something about it. And you're going to act grateful that they've said we're going to review it like you've won because you want to win campaigns. Mm. Um, You want to feel like you've had a win and you want to encourage the people who are campaigning with you to feel good and keep going. But you have to be very, very careful that that gratitude doesn't slip into like, you know, sort of accepting the very basics as if they were like a a little gift with a bow on top. And of course, this has sort of been in the social cultural ether at the moment with Nazanin and the. Yes, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. She should have acted more that, grateful. Yeah. After she was in prison for six years, <laughs> they left her in prison and they did a deal after six years that arguably could have been done six years prior. And she would not have lived away from her daughter for six years and her family and been imprisoned in Iran. And she was, uh, yeah, the comment was that she was ungrateful for pointing out what had gone wrong. And that it's exactly that issue. Is this idea, I remember one of my constituents, and to be fair to him, he was joking. But this sums this up perfectly. He said to me, oh, you and your women's rights, you know, you've got the vote. What more do you want? (laughs) like you know oh you're always bagging on you've got the bloody vote and it's like the idea that um I've because I'm elected people say well how can you you know say that women aren't equal you've been elected to one of the most powerful jobs in in the country as if just by virtue of my being there I should just be grateful that that's enough it's just ridiculous and women are expected to be grateful to somebody for any opportunity that they are given in ordinary life it's like oh, you know, I'm just so grateful. Thanks for giving me this chance. And it's just like, oh, actually, I deserve this chance. Yeah, people should right. People should sweat what they deserve considerably more and stop feeling like, like when people say, oh, isn't your husband good that he looks after the kids? Oh, the worst. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, is he babysitting? I'm like, no, they're, they're his kids. Yeah. He's not babysitting them. They're, they're his children. Oh, he's good, isn't he? And it's like, well, I mean, oh, he, he is good. But so not for that reason. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he's, oh, he's good man. because, like, you know, it's really funny. Uh, like, sitting at home whilst the children are also in the house does not make him a spectacular human being. <laughs> Love that. Um, Jess, tell me your second piece of advice, would you? 
So my second piece of advice, if memory serves correctly, is that imagine when anyone asks you to do anything, because normally people approach you and say, will you do this thing or will you come to this event or go to this thing? And it's in three months time. Don't worry, we'll speak to your office or don't worry, you'll be able to get a babysitter. It's in three months time. Just imagine that everything that you get asked to do is happening tonight. And do you still want to go? Because I spend a huge amount of my life agreeing to things. And then on the day it comes around, I'm like, ugh, I can't be bothered to now drive (laughs) four hours to speak to a room of like five people because they sent me a nice email. I just think, oh, God, I've got to do this now. Like women will often in sort of fear of the lack of recognition, will just basically feel like they can't turn anything down at all and agree to absolutely everything and then deeply regret it. And and with this piece of advice, I would also add, so you know when somebody else cancels a meeting and you feel utterly chuffed and you're like, (laughs) yes, oh my gosh, I've got now an hour free in my diary, like this is the greatest thing that's ever happened. Well, like, but when you think about cancelling something, you always feel this horrible sense of, like, obligation and, like, you're letting everybody down if you cancel something. But remember, they will probably be chuffed if you cancel. Don't assume. For some reason, we put ourselves in in the sort of category of being the terrible letdown. But when people let us down with regard to busy diaries... We feel happy. So just think of yourself as giving someone else the gift of happiness when you can't do something. Um, And also I'd add to this, like when you're agreeing to lots of things, don't give your labour away so freely. Mm. Women uh, are definitely, um, well, it's not that women are guilty. We are guilty of it. But it's more that society expects women to give their labour away for free in every regard. The state literally relies on women giving childcare, social care, welfare away for free so that they don't have to deal with it. You know, the nation's children, old people, sick, frail, uh, would would basically be nowhere without the free labour of women. Women's safety, women are expected to do all their own risk assessment, flag down buses when they're being abused rather than expecting someone to come and protect them or for (laughs) the perpetrators not to do it. Like, women are expected to do so much for free. And I get asked to do things all the time. Like, funnily enough, like, uh, just minutes ago, I received an email saying, will you write a sort of 15,000 word uh, thing about why it's important for women in the workforce? And and there's no mention in that that, that of the time that that would take for me to do it or an exp- expectation that I should want to be paid for the time that I put in. And we've got to be really, really weary of giving our time away for free, um, both emotionally, uh, physically and financially. Which brings us on to your third piece of advice, which Mm -hmm. is almost quite contradictory, which I like. Yeah. Which is actually, (laughs) that said, say yes more than you say no to things. Yeah. I believe this myself, so I'm interested to know your your perspective on it. Yeah, so obviously I think say yes to things at the same time as recognising the value in the reason why somebody has asked you to do it. We do this ridiculous thing and I I even do it now even though, you know, I'm I'm relatively successful as a human being. I still go, oh gosh, that's nice that somebody's asked me to do something, isn't it? Like, oh gosh, 
Or like you think it's a mistake. You think, oh, they've thought of the wrong Jess Phillips here. They, <laughs> they want that random woman who I sometimes Google who plays um, soccer in America. There's a woman called <laughs> Jess Phillips. Like, so you feel a bit chuffed um, that people have asked you to do things. And that's one of the reasons we give it away, uh, our time away freely. But one thing I worry about, I worry that people overthink opportunities that come their way. So when I was asked basically to run for parliament, a a, a man called Ian from the regional Labour Party rang me up at home and said to me, you know, there's a seat coming up in Yardley. I know you've shown an interest maybe before. Uh, I'd never stood in a selection to run for parliament before, but I was a local councillor. He said, you know, it's coming up. You might consider putting yourself forward. And I literally on the phone, shouted downstairs to my husband. I was like, oh, they're saying that maybe I should run for Parliament. And he went, oh, that seems like something you're going to end up doing. And I was like, yeah, all right, then I'll do it. And I didn't overthink it at all. I just thought, yeah, that seems, you know, like something I could give it a go. And the rest is history, as they say. Do you think you would have talked yourself out of it then if if you'd spent longer thinking about it? Had I spent the time thinking, you're going to have to, right, at the time my son, my youngest son was two, my uh, older son was five. Had I actually gone, well, you're going to have to live away from your children. Uh, There's a potential that you're going to basically end up a security risk. There'll be so much scrutiny. Your life won't be your own anymore. Had I actually stopped and thought about all of the, both the possible possibilities and the negatives, I think I probably would have been just talk myself out of it somehow and made it into a much bigger deal. And what I did actually was when I was selected, the day I was selected, you have to go through a selection process, first of all, where you run against other people within the political party that you're in. And on the day after, I went and I sat in a cafe near where I live and I thought, shit, I might end up a member of parliament. And like that was the first time it had actually dawned on me. Uh, and we were two years out from the election at that point. So I had two years to think about it. But in that moment of just giving something a world that seems crazy, I just thought, yeah, why not? Why shouldn't? Why not me? And I, I think that people should try and grab onto as many opportunities as come their way before mm. they convince themselves that it's a case of mistaken identity and that they <laughs> meant that sucker, <laughs> Jess Phillips, who maybe would be an excellent politician or maybe it's... Like, you know, you, you don't just think, oh, well, what about this? What about this? What about that? You just go, yeah, actually, gut feeling. I often, in all my big life decisions, I have followed a gut feeling. Um, like every time I saw a pregnancy test that said I was pregnant, I've known within the second what I would inevitably go on to do about it. I just then pretended to go through a process of concern and conversation. But I knew from that second, and I just think we should trust our guts considerably more. Mm. Women are much, much better at that than we think we are. I'm interested in trusting your gut because like, sometimes I just don't know how to do that. Like, what is What does it feel like? How do I know? I think you just know. I mean, if you have to ask, you don't know. Yeah. And sometimes you won't know. Sometimes there will be a, well, what about if this happened? Mm. Or actually, I mean, it's very hard for me to say this because I never feel like this. I follow my guts all the time because I always, I I don't always follow it, 
but I always know. So and there have been yeah, there have been decisions that I've made that I knew I was making the wrong decision all really? the way through, and that made it very very difficult. Mm. And you can get swept along with other people's expectations very very easily because people are telling you they want you to do something they need you to do something but you know deep down it's not right right um and i wished in those circumstances like when i ran for the labor party leadership all the way through i thought i don't want to do this i don't really feel like i want to do this and I feel like I'm doing it because people like me should think that we can do it as well as mm. people wanting me to uh, do it for another reason. But I all the, I, I felt sick and unwell the really? whole time. And do you, you regret sh- it now when you no, look I don't, back? I don't do you regret, regret not following your gut? No, no, no. I don't, I don't regret it because that, there's very little point in that. And there were some definite positives along the way. Mm. Um, but I didn't enjoy it. I, I hated it. I like, really? And it made me feel sick. I just think as well, I'm um, contrary to (laughs) popular belief as I am very passionate about things. Like, I don't cry easily in front of my friends. My friends have to tease things out of me if um, I'm upset or sad or angry about things. So I'm not much of a talker in that regard, but I always know how I feel about something because of the way my body reacts, like Mm. the idea that your body keeps the score. I have very physical rather than emotional reactions to decision-making. And so often I can tell if I feel sick, like not with excitement, but with fear, I I can Mm. tell that I shouldn't be doing something. I don't always listen to that. And like most people don't, I can be destructive. I can be self-destructive. I can uh, sort of self-harm in that regard. But I... I do always know and then afterwards think you Egypt you shouldn't have done that should have listened listen to your body when it's telling yeah. you with every fiber stop it stop it stop it so yeah like and, and people feel like that about relationships I always think that of the relationships that I was in that the moment that I knew I had to get out of that relationship even if we've been arguing a lot it was never about that it was genuinely about the way my body felt like repelled from somebody I suppose like when you absolutely don't want to have sex with somebody anymore or feel like have them even touch you like the sort of repellence of that yeah. I, like that I at believe that moment, the young people call it the ick the days. ick yeah that's that, that <laughs> like that like oh oh like and uh, you know I remember feeling that with my first ever boyfriend who'd not done anything drip well I mean actually he had but I'd sort of we'd got over that and but at the point when I was just like you know that moment where their leg touches you in bed <laughs> and it's like oh god like like that when you've got that like trust your body i i yeah. just think our bodies are remarkable things and we should we should definitely definitely trust them we are just going to jump to a quick advert break but we will be right back with jess phillips the mp not the american <laughs> soccer player and we're back with mp jess phillips who's sharing her life advice with us and we're on to her fourth piece of advice and that is don't compare yourself to others it only makes you sad yeah, this this is not something I can do instinctively. This is something that I've had to learn. Mm-hmm. I've had to rote learn it throughout my life. And I, when I say rote learn it, I literally mean that I've had to practice not comparing myself, like have mantras to not compare myself to other people. And that entirely comes from my husband. Uh, my husband, I think, you know, had he been born in a different era, would have been considered uh, to be neurodiverse. As it was, he just people thought he was grumpy. But um, he doesn't have 
the understanding or the capacity to compare himself to other people. So when, uh, you know, 10 years ago in our relationship, when I would get jealous of people or be constantly comparing, whether it was my body, my job, my achievements to other people, he would literally have to have it explained to him why I was doing that. Because he was like, but I don't understand. That's them. And this is you. You're different. So their experiences are different. Like it's literally that simple to him. The idea that, well, that's their life and this is your life. And sometimes they might interact, but they're not the same thing. And this lesson that he has taught me has liberated me to such a degree that I know, I know when my mates buy a new beautiful house, get an amazing thing, do something like amazing in their jobs, I feel nothing but happiness that other people are achieving. Mm. I, I just really don't suffer from jealousy. Uh, I, I, I like the things other people have and think oh, I wish I could have those things sometimes, but I'm just chuffed that they've got them. And that is something I literally changed in my head about the way that I thought about things and I'm much, much happier. Yeah. Like, my husband is right. What is the point of... Uh, there is only destruction in comparing yourself mm. to other people and feeling jealous about it. Yeah, and almost like his more sort of... just completely simplified version of thinking about yeah. it. It's exactly what you need. It just is like, well, that's what it comes down to. Yeah. Because it makes you feel so stupid. He's like, but I don't understand, but that's about them. And you and, yeah. and you can't explain it. Exactly. Because, because yeah. it is stupid. <laughs> so when you can't explain something, you realise that maybe you're the one being irrational. And people do it all the time politically. It's a dangerous political tool, the tool of comparison. It can it is used to drive hatred, and politicians use it to to stoke hatred and fear yeah. rather than hope and fulfilment in populations. And I just think it's really, really dangerous. And if I, my mum used to say this brilliant thing because my brother was um, um, a drug addict who sapped a huge amount of uh, the attention in my family. And I used to feel like, oh, well, great, I do everything right. He, you know, robs things and makes everyone's life a misery and we have to constantly bail him out with the police and things. And and he gets all my family's attention and we all have to go to sessions to make sure that he's all right. Like, doing the right thing seemed like it wasn't, like, it wasn't worth it because he got all the attention, got money spent on him, thousands and thousands of pounds. And uh, my mum just said to me one day, the benefit for you is being you. You get all the benefits of being mm. you. Would you swap places with him? Would you want his life? Do, mm. do you want his life? Do you want that misery? Do you want to cause me pain in order to get uh, attention? And I was like, oh yeah, the benefit is me. <laughs> like, so... In many times in my life, I um, have been made to feel very, very sad and very, very lonely and upset and mm. unfulfilled just by virtue of trying to be or achieve something that somebody else was getting by good or ill. And it's just it's just not worth it. It's a waste yeah. of time. Yeah. Your next piece of advice is about learning to enjoy risk. And you think that women are better at managing risk than maybe 
we think we are. Yeah, I think that, you know, if you do a lot of like reading in sort of management studies and things, you'll you'll find that um, women are more likely to talk things over with people before making a decisive decision. Uh, they're more risk averse. They um, they're less likely to take on risk financially, for example, because, you know, usually women are not just managing their own lives, they're managing the lives of their children as well and their broader community and taking a financial risk has greater consequences for women in lots of cases. So women will borrow less, they'll invest less. There's all sorts of uh, evidence that women aren't very good at risk taking or that society doesn't enable women to take risks rather than that they're not very good at it. Um, And I just think that that is looking at it with male gaze because I have, uh, I think that women are much better at taking risks than men. In fact, we take risks every single day when we step out of the door. And women wouldn't leave the house or even stay in the house for lots of women if they weren't able to, on a micro level, risk assess nearly absolutely everything in their lives mm. and keep going. Yeah, um, so when you. When you work in an environment like the one that I worked in prior to Parliament and and since, where risk assessment tools are like the be all and end all, they are you know you you're risk assessing the likelihood of somebody being murdered by their partner in a domestic abuse situation, and you sit and there's like literally check boxes that you do. You become um, a scholar of the idea of risk and control mm. and how people use it in their lives. And I know that in my life, I risk assess absolutely everything. Literally, when I get dressed in the morning, the kind of clothes that I'm going to wear are based on years and years of risk taking and uh, decision making about the way that I will be perceived, the way I might be able to escape, the way that I have to feel comfortable, the way that I'll be sexualized. And that's literally putting on a pair of pants in the morning I've done that level of risk assessment and when Sarah Everard was killed there were lots of women saying oh you know we walk with our keys in our hands we do uh you know we make sure we always go this way rather than this way like you know we we always ring in our friends and all of that and my husband said to me at the time he said all that micro management that you have done in your life that level of detail that women have to do every single day just to bloody leave the house and then get themselves home again to that house or to even move around their houses in cases of domestic abuse he said every single one of those things if you had that time back Jess you could use that level of detailed attention to make a feature-length stop-frame animation film all by yourself. Wow, like, I love that yeah. that's where he went to, with what you could <laughs> do with that time. He's massively geeky. Yeah, okay. he's massively cool. geeky. So and the cool. idea that you could move plasticine a millimetre yeah. like, and make a uh, so make, make like a Wallace and Gromit film. He was like, if you, if women put there that level of risk-taking and the time that they've given to society in order just to exist... You know, we could have had the Sistine Chapel 20 times over. Wow, like, yeah, that, like, so good. Yeah, so that, I think that we are way, way better at taking risks and we should sweat that asset much more to advance uh, yeah. ourselves financially uh, and socially. Amazing. So we're on to your sixth piece of advice now, Jess. Your sixth mm-hmm. piece of advice is to feel what you feel and know it's okay. And I, I don't think that this is just advice for women. In fact, I think it's it's actually better advice for men. Um, I deal with people who've dealt with 
terrible traumas, deaths, murders, losing their home suddenly or losing them over a long period of time. The thing that I find difficult for, uh, that makes it more difficult for people, is that they feel guilty about the feelings that they're having about it. So like when Mm. somebody dies and you have a sense of relief or you don't cry when your husband rapes you or beats you or you do smile at the weekends even though you're in pain, you second guess yourself and second guess other people's expectations of you and the way you're meant to behave in those circumstances. And when somebody close to me loses somebody, I always say, the thing I always say to them is feel whatever you feel and know that that's okay, that that's the Mm -hmm. right feeling. Like you don't, when my mum died, I didn't cry. I didn't, I didn't manufacture it like that. And I started to feel like there was something wrong with me. Mm. And and there wasn't. I'd just been computing it for the three years she was ill. But I was yeah. I also wasn't relieved. I did I wasn't relieved. I, I wished every day she was still there and I started to get cross and angry. And then I started to feel stupid for feeling feeling resentful. And I'd see other people and I'd think your mom's not as good as mine and you're not as good as me. And frankly, you deserve to be suffering this loss and I don't. And all of those things seem toxic and horrible. But, you know, it's okay. Just roll with it. Just roll with how you feel and trust your feelings. They're there for a reason. Your body is doing a lot of them for a reason. Now, of course, I I also suffer from anxiety uh, and have been medicated variously through my life for that. And so I know that sometimes my feelings are totally and utterly irrational. And fear can be very irrational. And my mind can tell me things are happening that just are not happening at all. But they are so real to me. They feel so real. But it doesn't, even in those circumstances, it doesn't help when people say, well, that's really irrational. Mm, It doesn't help me. It doesn't make it better. So I just have to lean into those feelings and just feel them. Ride the wave of them. Mm. Yeah, and just know that it's okay. Yeah. yeah. So what's the worst piece of advice that you've ever <laughs> been given? I've been given the worst piece of advice I have ever been given, and I've been given it multiple times mm. um, by people who both don't have my best interests at heart and people who absolutely do have my best interests at heart. And that that is that I should be careful not to be pigeonholed by the feminism thing or the women thing. Oh, God. Like, yeah, yeah, like, like, right. That is the worst piece of advice, right? Because, A, I have become incredibly successful because of the clarity of my views on, on things. It's not like, you know, I have to make out like I'm not driven by one particular thing. I am I am driven solely by equality. It's what gets me up in the morning. It's what makes me do things I don't particularly want to do. It's what drags me to work and out of bed in the morning is that. Um, it is my major motivation. Sometimes I'm motivated by spite, but mainly it's my, that's my major motivation. And it... It just drives me in everything that I do. Mm. And the idea as well that men get that said to them. So like the, the really good example is like Andy Burnham, for example, who is a passionate politician. Uh, and when he was in Parliament, he was very, very passionate and did loads and loads of work around 
Hillsborough. And no one ever said to him, oh, you don't want to get pigeonholed by, you know, big national disasters. No one ever said to which is considerably more niche than womankind. You know, we are quite a lot of people. Uh, we are half the population. And actually, my hatred of the patriarchy is because it harms men as much as it harms women. Yeah. Uh, like no one ever said to George Osborne, oh, you don't want to get like, you know, pigeonholed by the economy. <laughs> <laughs> so true, isn't it? And I'm sure it was probably women that said that to you as well as men. In- oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, be really careful, you know. You'll yeah. always be known for that one thing and people will only come to you about that thing. And I think, well, if they do, then I'll know what I'm talking about and I won't have to pretend to know something in-depth about fisheries. <laughs> brilliant. Jess, it's been so brilliant talking to you. Thank you so much for being on the Grazia Life Advice podcast today. I've really, really enjoyed it. Thank you for your great advice. No worries. My pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of Grazia Life Advice. If you know anyone who you think would enjoy this chat, we would love you to share it with them as it really helps us reach a wider audience. So we'll see you next time, or as Jess Phillips would say, ta a bit, Bab. <laughs>